You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies that actors were. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. I do apologize if I sound a bit nasally. I am getting over a cold. I was standing outside in Park City weather for many, many days last week at the Sundance Film Festival. So that weather got the best of me and I am still getting over the bits of my cold. I am getting better, but I did get a little bit sick over this past weekend. And speaking of Sundance, that is what this podcast is all about. We are talking about the best and the worst of films that we captured over at Sundance 2024. If you haven't already, check out the Black Girl Nerds website. We've covered a number of films at the festival, but I also had a chance to sit down with some fellow journalists to talk about some of the movies that we watched and um, some of the movies that we saw that we liked and didn't like. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast where we talk about some of the best and the worst that came out of Sundance 2024. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I'm your host. I am here live in Park City at the Sundance Film Festival with a team of journalists and I'm really excited to talk to them about the films that we have screened at Sundance. We have been here at Park City for nearly a week and we have seen a lot of movies. And every year when we do our wrap-up show, we talk about the films that we have loved and the movies that we have hated at Sundance. And maybe for some of us, we may have not have hated. They may have been more mid. But either way, we're going to talk about it. And I am, instead of doing the introductions, I want each of our journalists to quickly introduce themselves before we dive into the films that we watched at Sundance. So we'll kind of go around. We're actually sitting here at our table here at Park City and um, I don't know we'll start with we'll start with TT and then go around in a circle all right TT Sternenzi I'm with uh, Fox 19 and WVXU Charles Kirkland Jr. I'm with the film Gordon and the DC Film Life and real movie stuff Uh, Travis Hobson I'm with uh, Punch Drunk Critics uh, WETA, Channel 26, and uh, Channel 7 in D.C. 
Tim Gordon with the film Gordon and WETA TV. I'm Cortland Jacoby and I'm with Punch Drunk Critics. Fantastic. So we will start with positive and good vibes with the films that we enjoyed and loved at Sundance. Starting with um, a film that I really loved. I actually, it's one of my favorite films of the festival, which was a documentary by Don Porter, who I feel like is making a documentary every year (laughs) these days. Uh, The Luther Vandross documentary called Luther Never Too Much. Beautiful, compelling, really told Luther's story right and from the q and I went to the premiere. Uh, the team behind this documentary waited a long time before they decided to put out Luther's story. And I'm glad that they did because they really gave a nuanced um, story that gave us a lot of information about Luther that, quite frankly, I, I didn't know. I didn't know much about his early years as they had depicted in the, the documentary. And then we got a lot of the stuff that we knew about Luther and was able to enjoy the songs that they played throughout the the documentary. And then we got to know some of the the controversial parts of his life. Uh, So that was something that I loved. That was my favorite film of the festival. Uh, And I want to go in the same order as we did the introductions. What was some of your favorite or what was your favorite film of the festival, T.T.? Right. Yeah, my favorite film of the festival was actually the first film I saw. Well, I take that back to the second film that I saw, uh, which was Ibelin. I was uh, intrigued about it because it was something that I thought I was going to want to look into for the Over the Rhine International Film Festival because it had a strong disability focus, which it does work perfectly for that. But it is also just an incredible documentary that looks at the life of a young I guess he was a 25-year-old Norwegian gamer who ended up dying from a a degenerative muscular disease. And his family had no idea that he had this entirely separate digital life. Uh, He played uh, World of Warcraft with people from all over Europe and ended up having really strong relationships that he developed with these people uh, helped them through very difficult and challenging issues in their lives, but never opened about opened up about his own experience. So in some ways, he was hiding this from his parents, but he was also hiding it from this entire other community. Um, the revelations as they come out are incredibly heartwarming, but what really works for me about the film is it starts off as a traditional disability documentary, if you will, but then about halfway through, they rewinded and worked with a team of animators from World of Warcraft. So you get to see his entire digital experience, or at least parts of it, uh, in the game. And that was the really fascinating part. Because again, this is the first time we got to see him live and breathe in a way as a person outside and beyond his disability. Fascinating stuff. Um, And I really hope that there are a lot of uh, documentary filmmakers who are, again, looking at these kinds of stories, take some lessons from this, because that was just an eye-opening experience. And and again, a way to look at and think about disability that I think both people within that community and outside will get so much 
out of that experience and be able to move forward with it. So that was that was and probably will be the film that stays with me the most from this year's Sundance Festival. I haven't even seen that film, so I gotta check that one out. <laughs> <laughs> you will not be disappointed. Charles, what about you? Well, I'm not usually a doc guy, so I'm going to leave the docs alone because there's, I mean, you mentioned Luther, mm-hmm. and then there's another musical doc that I'm sure someone else might at the table might mention. So I'm going to go with Exhibiting Forgiveness as my one of my favorites for the festival, um, a story by Titus Kapar, who is an artist uh, and turned first-time director starring Andre Holland, Andre Day, and of course, the incredible Anjanou Ellis. It's a heartbreaking, emotional tale that uh, really deals with forgiveness in a way that hasn't been dealt seriously in films before, and I really appreciate it. I I, I like to say that I was triggered by the story from the beginning that it started, and uh, and I just felt like Andre Holland just carried me through this film in in such a powerful manner, And, and it was a beautiful film to look at as well. The cinematography was really great. I mean, you're dealing with a, a an artist who's making this film, so he his color palettes were incredible, and, and just to it was just a beautiful film about a painter. So it wasn't very hard, uh, much of a stretch for him in uh, making it. But again, it's a beautiful film. It's heart wrenching, and it's really well done. Anjanu Ellis gave such an incredible performance. I mean, we talked about Origin. Origin is such an incredible film and she once again just delivers one of the most stunning performances in this film and then the actor that played the father which I, I forget I his, can't name. his name. <laughs> yeah, his name too. Um but he delivers a, John Earl Jokes. John Earl Jokes. Yes, a, an impeccable performance in that. So it hasn't been bought yet, but I'm certain that it will and I really, really hope that more people get to see it. So. You should be seeing it in the fall, just so, because it's that kind of film that's very yes. well done. Time to award season. <laughs> right. Indeed. Right. Yes. Travis, how about you? Charles, just take everything I said earlier and just repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, man. Um, because of that, I will not say exhibit forgiveness. <laughs> I will come up with something else. Uh, I was it's probably, okay. And it's okay if we have yeah, the same of course, ones that are of course. Our you know, well, I'll let Charles have his moment. Um, <laughs> I would probably say my. I, I would start, probably say tied for with exhibiting forgiveness for me was uh, was Love Lies Bleeding. Mm. Uh, I really, really love this film. It's it's really it's really dark in a lot of ways. Of course, it's about it's another movie set at Sundance about a bodybuilder, uh, and, and it's another bodybuilder with a violent streak. Uh, but this one stars uh, Kristen Stewart and Katie O'Brien, uh, and it's set in this small Nevada town. Um, and Kristen Stewart's character, a lonely gym manager, falls in love with this massive bodybuilder who kind of saunters into town. And it's like as soon as she's there, she's the most interesting thing about this place. And uh, they fall in love, and they kind of get swept up in a in a wave of violence fueled by steroids and nicotine withdrawal. It's just it's a lot. It's a lot going on. There's gangster stuff going on. There's murder. There's it's a bit of a Bonnie and Clyde movie. It's a bit of a mob movie. It's a bit of a uh, twisted romance. It's got a whole lot of things going on in it. 
It's a little bit gritty. And it's a little bit surreal. It kind of plays with a lot of different genres. It's a body horror as well. It's just got a lot of stuff thrown at the wall. But Rose Glass, who did St. Maud here a few years ago, um, was a really, really great film. And it, she established her bold directing style. Then she brings it back to this. She's unafraid to push the limits, which is what I appreciate about filmmakers. I like filmmakers that have a voice, and she has a voice. And this movie has a voice. It's one of those movies that people who love it are going to really love it. And there are people who are probably going to hate it. And they'll probably really hate it, and that's fine. But I'd rather have a movie that creates strong emotions one way or another than nothing at all. So, uh, yeah, Love Lives Bleeding is a strong one for me. Uh, It's on top of my list. I agree. I loved Love Lives Bleeding. And also, it had kind of like that grindhouse. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's very pulpy it. at certain points. Yeah. Yeah. That, and for it had sure. that kind of campy and, and kind of cartoonish like violence to it. It does a lot. I, I do feel like the more surreal it got, I think it loses some of its power. But, mm-hmm. um, but I was still so invested in it. I, I was okay with it in a way. So yeah, I mean, it, it's so good that I really do want to go back and see yeah. Saint uh, Maud and see Rose Glass's work. I'm yeah. like, okay, I, I need to see more from. This and I really character. want to see more of Katie O'Brien. I know she's going to be in Twisters coming up. That Twister yes. sequel, she's going to be in that. And I want to see more of what she does. I'm glad to see her in something where she's not playing a police officer. Right. <laughs> so yes, right. indeed, Mr. Gordon. I mean, my highest rated film, you took it already. So I will talk about a film. That what is it, though? Say what it is. What is it? It was, it was never too much, man. Okay. I, Luther Vandross' film was just fantastic. But, and Charles, uh, I am not going to talk about The Greatest Night in Pop. Uh, I, I like to talk about Freaky Tales, or as I like to pronounce it, Freaky Tales. Um, <laughs> Freaky Tales is uh, a four-part anthology based in Oakland, uh, 1987, and specifically, I forget the actual date. It's like March it's 10th. Date? It's like March 10th. What? Yeah, whatever the date was when Sleepy Floyd scored 29 points on the Lakers in Game Four of the playoffs. And the the thing that I loved about this film, of course, is that. You know, I'm a huge Too Short fan, and of course he narrates the film, appears in the film, the title is from one of his songs, and you get this, these four, four stories, I'm not going to say they're all interesting, I'll say that much. Um, I love the first story, of course, where uh, the skinheads are picking on the, 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 the local natives who have a club, uh, their little punk rock club, and you know, and, and they take revenge. The second segment, of course, with uh, the two rappers, um, what were they called? What Danger it? Zone. Danger Zone, thank yes. you. Danger Zone, who was brought up to battle rap with Too Short, which is based on a true story, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't think was the strongest, it's probably the weakest one of the four to me. Uh, the third one, of course, that has uh, my man Pedro Pascal uh, doing his thing. That one, I thought, was, was pretty interesting. It also includes... Uh, like a landmark underdog movie scene in the video store. Uh, when you check the film out, one to, at some point you'll understand how special that scene is. And then, of course, the last one, which is literally the pulpy grindhouse. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, uh, Bruce Leroy. I mean, there's so much Last Dragon stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on <laughs> in that last segment. But I thought Freaky Tales. Um, which got a, which initially got a bad rap, uh, specifically from IndieWire, I will say as much. 
Um, and, you know, I thought that this film played well. Um, I, I, the reason why I'm pausing is because it, there were parts during the middle of the film in the, in the second and third segment when I sat there with, with the whites who clearly didn't really understand what they were watching and, and weren't getting it. But all the black folks were like, woohoo! <laughs> so I like Freaky Tales. Um, it, I don't think it has distribution. Am I correct? No, not no, yet. It has no distribution. I'm sure it will get distribution. Absolutely. Uh, at some point. But it is a film. Uh, if it is slotted right, it's, it, it feels to me like a like a summer kind of a film that'll play. Like what Blackish was last year. It feels like that kind of vibe. And if that's the case, then I think it'll it'll do some some solid uh, box office business and may get some sort of a cult following. So that's my pick. Um, I really wanted to talk about Luther, but you spoiled that, Jamie. Again, we, we, you, if we all share the same favorite one, you, you just took you my you took my me. highest rated film, which was funny because I didn't. We didn't sit together at Luther, right? No. Yeah, so I was sitting at Luther, uh, another colleague of ours, Carla Renata. We knew, like, the whole story going in. So I told him, for me, that was so easy. It was like, before you rolled a, a blade of film, I was good. I was like, it was straight. The whole story? See, Sir, when I, I, I'm not making this up. I, and I'm not saying this. I, I'm the oldest dude at the table. So I'm telling you from a standpoint that, yes, I knew about Sesame Street. Yes, I knew about his work on Young Americans. Yes, I knew. Matter of fact, there was one piece that I wish they would have put in the film that his original group, Luther, the 1976, yeah, they have a classic Christmas song every every year. So, like, he made that song before and you knew he about the commercial jingles. Everybody knew that. That was that was a huge. So he was the number one jingle dude in New York. That, none of this stuff was new okay. in the film. The only thing I was waiting to see was how the story would be structured if they were going to take like a little Richard sort of a piece with it. But, you know, I, what I loved about it, which you didn't talk about, was that there were there were so many people, a lot of them who were who were in the audience, like his backup singers, his childhood friends, all of those family members. Um, I just thought it was, a, uh, you know, it was an hour and 40 some odd minutes. The first hour 15 is all very celebratory. Mm -hmm. And then you get to, you know, Luther... Can't find love and Luther. Oh, it, it, it was just a tearjerker at them when they got to dance with my father. Man, it was a wrap. Oh yeah, everybody yeah. in the theater. Oh, you could hear it. <laughs> so yeah. it was really, really a wonderful presentation. It's probably one of the stronger docs uh, that has been made about an individual that people knew. Like I told you that I didn't like Teddy Pendergrass's doc. I didn't like uh, Rick James's doc. I thought these people needed a director. That had a tighter focus that could tell those stories, but Don Porter nailed uh, Luther never too much. Well, it's funny you mentioned the Christmas stuff. Uh, I talked with Don after the premiere and well, after the screening, mm -hmm. and she said they they had a whole section on his Christmas stuff that just didn't make it into the they film. Made, yeah, I can believe that. I can believe that because he had a he had a he had a bomb Christmas song before he even had a debut album. Yeah. So Luther was the man. I agree. And and one thing I did also forget to add was the part about any love and the lyrics. Oh. And it gives me a whole completely different context. Absolutely. Now when I listen to any love, I'm going to listen to it with a different framework because of that documentary. But Tim knew um, that too. He already knew that. Apparently he knew about that too. I didn't know that. I mean, you know, see, Charles, this is an inside joke. It from is, it is. Greatest Night of Pop, and I tried to explain to Charles. 
that, you know, just because I'm a film critic, I really know a lot of stuff about music, so I can tell you a lot about that. So, But going back to Freaky Tales, just to clarify for yes. our listeners, which, which has you had a, mentioned... A, a distributor, a, by the way. Oh, oh, a distributor. Well, Lionsgate technically owns it because they bought E Entertainment One. Got Oh, so that's good. So that, that so but, that's the same studio. But Lionsgate might not hold on to it. They only have it because they bought it. Lionsgate has ownership of what? They have Freaky a, Tales. A Freaky Tales. But only because they purchased Entertainment One, which had it. So Lionsgate on to it. No, Freaky Tales doesn't have distribution yet. No, they. But Lionsgate has it. No, Lionsgate has it. They haven't set a date for it or anything like that. But Lionsgate owns it. So that's what I'm saying. That's all. That's what I'm saying. Lionsgate has it. I expect. I was told that there might be an announcement in the next couple days. But I think Lionsgate probably won't. I think I think they're gonna hold on to that because they did they did big business with the black with Blackening last year. So okay, okay, so we'll see. Well, we'll see what the announcement is for Freaky Tales. But you're about to say Corlin put her glasses on. Oh, she's dead. She's She's ready. Corlin about to drop it, man. Oh yeah, Corlin. But real quick before we get to Cortland, because I want to clarify with our listeners, because you had mentioned there's part one and and there's uh, you said that there's another one and another part and another. Other part. So with Freaky Tales, they break it up into different chapters, four, yeah, four. and those there's four chapters, and each chapter has interconnected stories, kind of like an anthology. So just wanted to clarify that for the listeners, how the narrative structure of Freaky Tales yeah. is depicted in the film. So. Oh, and also we forgot to mention that they're all linked together by the green stuff that falls out the sky. Mysterious There's green lightning energy. and yeah, green yeah, energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, 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 so, yeah. and all of the characters in each of these chapters, you see them all featured in, into each of each other's right. stories. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> and then a certain oh. celebrity shows up that you're like, oh, where did he come from? Okay, anyway. Oh, cool. Put her glasses on. Go ahead, cool. This Corbin, is going to be good. She's give, ready. Give, give it to us. I'll take them off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I know when everybody thinks of June Squibb, they think action star. Um, but uh, in Thelma, she really does get to be one at 94 years old. Uh, Thelma is... Uh, based on the director's own experiences with his grandmother. Um, phone scams are a really big thing right now, especially amongst the elderly. Uh, and June Scripps' character named Thelma Post gets a phone call uh, from scammers claiming that her grandson is in trouble. He hit someone with her car or his car and uh, they need $10,000 uh, in order for this to all go away. So she mails the money. Um, and very, very early on, you know, that's resolved. The family just kind of moves on, but she can't. And so she decides to go in search of revenge um, for these scammers. And along the way, she meets up with Richard Roundtree in his final performance, which is so touching and funny and appropriate. I think, you know, it's great that his last role is kind of a heist kind of thing where he can channel a little bit of shaft. Um, it's a really wonderfully made film with a wonderful score. Um, and yeah, it is definitely one of my favorites of the fest. I think it's a crowd pleaser, definitely. Um, I literally cheered. I gasped. I had to stop at one point and laugh because I was so invested in this movie. Um, I think Thelma is is definitely going to be like the cha-cha real smooth of this year or, mm. um, you know, even the little Miss Sunshine of this year. You know, it'll definitely resonate with, with many different kinds of audiences. And I hope that we eventually see June Squibb maybe get 
another nom for this just for being alive I would love to see just being alive (laughs) you know I I will say you know we're laughing but like this is the first time she's had a leading role and she's 94 so um, and and what a great uh, role to have I didn't know Oscar had a category for not breaking a hip in the movie. I mean, <laughs> and she would win every year. Yeah, the Mortality Award. Um, Thelma was actually the very first Sundance movie that I was able to screen, so I absolutely love the film. I completely agree with you. And it just surprises me that she's been in the business for yeah. 70 mm-hmm. plus years, mm-hmm. and this is her first leading, leading role. role. So, yeah, congratulations to June Squibb for this incredible performance. And, yeah, Richard Roundtree gave just, it was just so heartwarming. It was heartwarming, and it was kind of heartbreaking um, just to know that it was his last performance. Um, but it was a but good it, one to end on. It was a good It was good to end on. And also, I love the Parker Posey. Yes. Craig, yes. Craig, <laughs> you know, Clark well, they had their little comic relief moments throughout the film, and, and that was really great. Parker so. Posey plays June's daughter, who yes. is a therapist and is, like, the very definition of, like, a, a very overbearing mother. Um, and Clark Gregg plays her husband um, to great comedic relief. And I guess we have to mention Fred Heigenlinker? Heigenlinker. Yes, Completely butchered that. Um, you may know him from The White Lotus, uh, the first season. Um, and he, every time we were talking about this, every time he's on screen with June Squibb, you can just tell how much Fred adores her. And it <laughs> is the greatest foundation for a wonderful relationship between the two. And Malcolm McDowell's in this movie and he has yes. a great oh, yeah. role yeah. in this. He so. pops up. Yeah, we had a good time watching that one. So much so that everyone else wanted to watch the film after we watched it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is true. Very <laughs> true. Yep. All right, so... Talked about all of the movies we loved. Um, let's talk about the movies that we did not love. Woo! <laughs> let's get to the controversial stuff. I don't know if we're going to have different movies for this one, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got, there's some candidates. There's some candidates. Um, let yeah. me jump in because you're struggling with this one. Let me lead, let me lead off here. Okay. because you. Okay, let's yeah, go ahead. Okay, go ahead, um, Mr. Gordon. I saw I saw two movies that uh, are tied with one star in my rating system. Um, since Travis is here and, and actually soldiered through the whole film, I, I walked out 35 minutes into it, I will take, uh, they, what is it called? I saw the TV glow. Oh, you saw it? Yes. Oh, oh. yes, we did see Yes, it. we did. Oh. Yes, we did. And I saw the TV glow. <laughs> as I mean, sure you're going to be talking about it, though. <laughs> Yeah, because I didn't see it. So, 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 go, so myself, T.T. Stern, Enzi, and uh, Charles Kirkland sat through this uh, film. And it is a film that tells the story of a, of a young kid who's really uh, uh, introverted. Who, at a very early age, I'm, I'm assuming they, did, they never explained it, so I'm just going to, uh, uh, you know, kind of guess that the kid was... I'm not going to say he was on a spectrum or like ADD, but he, he has some sort of, some sort of uh, developmental issues, right? So he's very shy. And the only thing that he connects to uh, in the film, one day as a child, he sees a young girl reading a book. Uh, was it called The Pink, the pink Opaque? Pink Opaque. Pink Opaque. 
and he is immediately drawn to this. And he and, and when we first meet him, he's a seventh grader. The young woman that he meets is a ninth grader, and he sneaks over her house under the guise that he's doing sleepovers with his best friend okay. to sneak to her house to watch the pink opaque. And it begins this relationship, this very strange relationship between the two of them that continues for years as the, the, the one connection is this show that they both watch that airs at 10.30 every Saturday night. Even when he can't get to her house, she's leaving him VHS tapes so that they can watch this show, right? And this sort of goes on and on. You're trying to figure out exactly where the story is going. And I am... I'm a person who watches films and I'm looking for what I call my three-act structure, or my three-act structure, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm looking to see what the arc of a character is going to be over this film. And I just sat there, what are we talking about, an hour and 40 minutes of watching this? Mm. That I don't really see an arc. I don't really see at, at any point that this character ever elevates. Um, I don't, there are plenty of scenes in it where it doesn't connect. And it doesn't make sense. And so we sat there, watched the film, and all three of us couldn't stand this film. A night later, we're in line, and we run into a director who kind of tells us that he really loved the film and that there were things that we missed it because it was, you know, it was this, he thought it was a revolutionary queer story. And we sat there and had a conversation for about almost like an hour with him as he was trying to, to, to get us to expand our thinking. So I guess my takeaway with this film is, is that going in, I know I'm not a guy that does well with experimental films. I'm just not, right? Yeah. Um, and I think this film, would it, would it be fair to say this is kind of an experimental film? This Absolutely. Okay. Sure. So I think that I am open to watching it again. I'm not sure if it will change how I feel about the film, but I really am not a fan of this film because, I, and you know, Justice Smith, who is also in the American Society of Magical Negroes, who I think he's much better in that film than he is in, in this one. Okay. Uh, I, I'm just... So, I, I'm telling you, I, I think he's better. Let's talk I've about seen it. both of these. So I'm just saying that that film, I can't wait to see when it comes out because I, I would love to be at a screening in D.C. with the rest of our crew and have everybody sit there and watch that film. And I'm just going to be sitting there like this, looking at them, watching the film. For real. Right, like, yeah, what's going on? For what, real. How y'all feel <laughs> about this film? So I, it was my least favorite film uh, next to the one that Travis is going to talk about. Can I can I say that I don't even know if I'm going to talk about it? Because did you see a film worse than that one? Can I say that you consistently I mean, bury the lead on close. this film? Go ahead, Charles. Go ahead, Charles. The, the, the lead is that A24 has already purchased this film. No, it's not burying the lead. A24 picked up uh, what was the other film? Uh, You're doing a different man. Is that what? A different man is another one. I mean, A24 has a very niche taste when it comes to the films that they acquire. It's not it's not a secret. Before the festival even started. I feel like A24 is all over the place. Yeah. At, uh, this, at this point. Yeah. And they're going commercial now. So it's not... Not with this one. Not for this one. <laughs> well, not for this one. I'm just saying. Not for a different man. And, and yeah, not for a different man. And so, definitely ain't going... Not, definitely this one. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I, I, would, I would 
wouldn't be surprised if we saw more stuff from A24 like past lives. Like, I feel like, you know, that was such a crowd pleaser this year and, and Celine's song and Greta Lee got so much recognition for that. I feel like we might see them go in that more direction, but I mean, they're not dropping their horror. They're not going to drop their psychological thriller stuff. Somebody, yeah. somebody at A24 well, is wasting money. Yeah. Okay. Jamie, somebody at A24 is wasting money. I, I, I agree. I, I, I guess I disagree. So you said I see the TV go on a different man is not not wasting the money. First they of all, money back. First of all, I haven't seen the movie. So Which I, one? I, I haven't seen. I've seen, seen a different man. I haven't no, seen he hasn't. Man. Oh, I'm sorry, my apologies. I thought you had. I haven't seen either one of those movies. Oh, I'm, I'm talking about the fact that A24 generally does a pretty good job in making yeah. money back on their movies. They get the kinds of movies that fit in turn in terms of what they like to do. And they do very well in promoting them. There's sure. very, there are very few A24 movies of any stature that have like been flops. Because they pretty much know themselves. They're kind of like Bloomhouse in a way. They know the kind of movies that their fans like. And they know how to promote them. They pr- the re- Look, I know everybody's like, they already got, I saw the TV go. <clears throat> well, they got it because they know it fits their brand. <clears throat> and while you guys might not see it. They obviously see how they want to market that movie. So I'm I haven't seen the movies, I can't criticize it. But I can say that I trust A twenty four to have a plan and what they're gonna do with it. This film has a nine so we'll three out of ten uh, on Rotten Tomatoes right now. I am stunned. Now everybody's so stunned about I saw the TV glow. Magical Negroes is so much worse Facts. than just about anything outside of it. <laughs> On top of and that. we're gonna sit here and talk and act like we're all shocked if I saw a TV go. Justice Smith is trash in America I mean, in the American I, Society of Magical Negroes. I, I won't say he's trash, but I will say he's a very boring. Lead. He plays the same goddamn character every time. He's uh, he's never shied away from it. He always plays the same thing. Doesn't matter what it is. Shy, timid, awkward, afraid of confrontation. Same character all the time. This movie, I've already talked this movie to death, so I'm not gonna talk about it a lot. You already know I think it's weak. You already know that I think that it takes this premise, which is a fantastic premise, to explore the idea of the magical Negro. And it does it in the safest possible way possible. It does it in a way that makes it purely okay for white people to come and watch it. It makes it comfortable for them to watch, which is ironic considering the movie itself. And it spends the entire time avoiding the subject. It turns it becomes a romance story before more than it becomes anything else. In fact, the final frame of the movie, other than the, you know, the the kind of shock twist, is about him getting with the girl. It has nothing to do with the magical Negro trope. It's nothing. It's just, it's none, none of it at all. So okay. I think this movie, I think this movie's pretty bad. And so, I got increasingly angry. That's how I knew it was bad. I got increasingly angry as I wrote my review about it. Okay. Yeah. So let me counter by saying that I disagree with you. That I think that we are in a renaissance period of black filmmakers, black storytellers, where you can have films like this with the messaging, films like Origin with the messaging, films like American Fiction with the messaging, and so many other films that would not have been made with studio money 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and 20 years ago. So as we fixate on Justice Smith, and I absolutely agree with you. I don't think he's a good actor, right? I think the concept of the film, which the, the marketing is bad again because the commercial or the trailer when it was released, nobody wanted to see the film based on the trailer, right? 
you, everybody went into the film going in, and I think some people, I'm not going to say you, Travis, because I've known you long enough. I think you, I think you have your ideas. There's certain films that I know you like and certain, certain films or tropes that don't work. Let me finish. But what I'm saying is, is that I think some of the reviews for this film are unfair. And I think a lot of these reviews are based on what people have the, the idea or preconceived notion that they got from the trailer. And I don't think the film is as bad as people are saying it is. But again, I'm just one man, right? So just like there are people out there that love I Saw the TV Glow, it's not my film, just like this film doesn't feel like it's your film. My and I can respect if yeah. it's not. And, and, I've, and I've told you before, I respect your opinion and your, and your disagreement. My thing is, though, just listening to the, the director talk about the movie, he came at it because of that central idea of attacking that idea of the magical Negro. So to, to then not give you that in the movie, other than right. in the framing sequence, basically, hmm. I, I think that, that is that is that is why he I... never attacked the magical Negro. He doesn't Negro do it. Trope. He doesn't do it. And at what, all. my, my, my issue was the film. My issue with the film was it was too heavy-handed with the love story, and they didn't focus on the society in and of itself, which should have attacked the trope. Yep. And the audience, it actually played well, the whole society scenes. Mm-hmm. That played well with the audience. Like, mm-hmm. They loved it. Mm-hmm. But they didn't really show those scenes much. They just focused on the love story with Justice Smith and the other actress, which I forget her name. Yeah. Who? Which was, I actually like her. And I actually think... Who wasn't like, she was I, like I a white like, passing Latina character. I feel like he had two separate ideas for movies and he put them together. Yeah. That's kind of the way I feel about but it. But ultimately... There's a who movie this, there. Who is this movie for? That's there, what I kind of want to know. There's a movie there about a timid, mixed race guy trying to navigate a toxic workplace that has its own racial issues. You know, you're talking about a place that creates a software that does literally can't see black people. You know, you get, there's a there's a movie there about a romance that he's trying to form, trying to break out of his shell, dealing with his own identity issues. There's a movie there for that. Yeah, I think that's a good movie. Yeah. But don't frame it, don't put it in the movie about the magical Negro. Yes. Those things shouldn't be together. Yeah. I, I feel like he had these two these two competing ideas and he just put them into his one movie because frankly it might be the only movie he ever makes. And I think so I'm, he put them together and for, he shouldn't have. Unfortunately, the director misdirected the audience that oh, it was yeah. for and it, white people actually thought that this movie was for them. Because then you right. get headlines like, Owen Gleiberman from The Variety that says that the American Society of Magical Negroes is a racial satire that's wittier and more scalding than American fiction. You know, and I was, and that pissed me off so bad because it's absolutely not. It's not. (laughs) And even so, why are we trying to put one film against the other? Exactly. And I get that. Exactly. I I do that. that. You know, you'll see us doing that as Owen Gleiberman does. Why why is that being compared to American fiction? Right. where does that come from? Because Where does that psyche in, in come Owen's from? mind, he sees one story about race and another story about race. So anytime there are films that deal with race, they want to they try to compare them all. Mm-hmm. Them so then that part. means the director messed up with the messaging. It's two the messaging movies, it's, did not get across. But it's not just two people. movies about race. There's a reason why Owen Gleiberman Gleber is the only writer to say some shit like some dumb shit like that. Is because there's two movies about race that attack white people's perceptions of black people. There you go. That's yeah. why he did it. He didn't say that about origin. He didn't say that about other black movies that are out there. He put those two movies specifically against each other. Mm-hmm. And he's playing them against one another. 
And I think that's garbage. That's bullshit. But to Travis's point, I don't. I, he doesn't have that throughout the whole film, like American Fiction does. The American Fiction is consistent with that theme throughout, from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And Magical Negroes does abandon that that storyline for some reason unknown to anyone, and and just goes in a different direction. So I think that makes it a weaker. It's very but I will say this: having seen both of these films, I I. I say Justice Smith's performance in Magical Negroes is light years above uh, what he does in... <laughs> I saw the TV. <laughs> I saw the TV. <laughs> oh, that's a little bit. That is... That's I, mean, I want to push back on that. Because I'm one of the three of us who actually saw both films. Right. And to be quite honest, he's the same dude in he both He is films. the same dude in both films. And, I, and, and as much as I did like the American Society of Magical Negroes, I was completely bored with him. And I and there's a part of me that's like, in my head, I think I recast, yeah. I, I recast that role and I had somebody else in my head. I was not happy or comfortable watching him in that role. Right. I mean, the only person to watch in the film is David Allen Greer. And once you yeah, sure. get past that, yeah. there's nobody, nothing to watch it for. And, and Tim said that, you know, you, you said that Justice Smith is not a good actor. I disagree. I think he's a good actor. I just think he's a boring lead. I think he's he's stuck know. himself into this one I, role, this one character type. He played the same character. You played that character in Jurassic I, I, World. I, I, I mean, he just can't I just play he should be anything else. Roles. He's good as a supporting actor. He just shouldn't be carrying a film. I can't see him as a good actor until he does something different. Until he plays somebody different. He's got to do something different. I mean, what did you say, Corlin? I was going to say, in Dungeons and Dragons, he plays the same guy with, like, elf ears. Exactly. With magic powers. Yeah, yeah I know. Same, same thing. I mean, he was, a, he was timid in, in Detective Pikachu. He was timid. He was timid. He was timid. There's a space getting, for those kinds. He was They're timid in the get back. He was timid can, in everything. You can be a character actor and, be, and play those one-note yeah. one roles. Just don't carry a film. He shouldn't be carrying a film. Yeah. June Squibb was a character actor for 70 years. But she can act, and now she finally gets a. She's a better actor than Justin. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um. So you. So we're really not going to talk about Crazy House. I don't want to talk about Crazy House. (laughs) (laughs) Can I I just bring up one more film that I didn't like that will be very short because I have no idea what the film is about, and that's Love Me. (laughs) 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 I have all of us here. Who's seen Love Me? Is it just us two? I think it's just us two. I have it for. Digital uh, starting on Wednesday. I and took it off because I of might be taking it. <laughs> <laughs> if someone were to ask me what is that film about, I could not tell them. Well, you and I were sitting next to each other watching it, so we were both trying to hash it out afterwards. And now I'm thinking that one of us could really sort it out. I told somebody today, though, I was like, I told somebody today, if you took out everything and you just made a movie about Kristen Stewart and Stephen Yun hashing out their relationship in an apartment. It'd probably be fine, like a Malcolm and Marie, like a Malcolm and Marie type yeah. movie. It'd be a, it'd be a fine movie. It'd yeah. be okay. Like it would be great, probably, but it'd be it'd be fine. But all the crap where she's playing a buoy and he's playing a satellite, and it's like that part's stupid. It's like a Wally. That part's movie. stupid. It's just stupid. It's seventy percent AI. It's stupid and it's designed to get it into festivals. It's why that you do some dumb shit like that, and then you know, and then you add all the. All the uh, the motion capture and all the AI stuff yeah. that they do in there, all the bells and whistles that just really kind of serves as a distraction, and it's just I'm with you. I don't really know. You couldn't really break down the movie into a simple 
what's this movie about? Which is why the synopsis is just a bully and a satellite falling in love, or basically, or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it's really simple. Yeah. But I, I stepped over what you were going to say, so go ahead. No, I, I just wanted to add that at the premiere when Kristen Stewart and the cast were up there, <laughs> yeah, when they asked her, you know, yeah. about the film and what she thought, she couldn't even articulate. None of them could. The, the filmmakers film couldn't really. <laughs> nobody could really explain what the movie was about. She didn't even know what her movie was about. Yeah. Wow. So. Isn't that how we felt when it's we came rough. out? <laughs> I saw the TV club. <laughs> they, the, we, the, the publicist asked us what we thought of the film. So, so Tim, I, I, so I know. Oh, how to have sex. That was how to have sex. Yes. So, uh, Tim, why don't, why don't you... Talk about your 35 minutes of experience. 35 minutes of hell in cinema today. <laughs> Let's just start with the fact that it was a sold-out screen. Uh, well, first of all, for our listeners, tell them what movie the you're talking crazy about. The film was crazy. Crazy House. Crazy House. And Crazy House. I'm sorry, Frigid Tales, Crazy House. Uh, <laughs> stars, uh, what's dude's name? There's Nick Frost and Alicia Silverstone. Uh, and Jamie, in what can best be described as a '90s sitcom with a, a, a family and with featuring a laugh track. So he's a kind of religious guy who is just a klutz, right? So early in the film, he goes in the kitchen, I guess, to get some water. Breaks the faucet, water uh, falls over. He's already wearing some ridiculous sandals with socks, and then he attaches. Like the equivalent of brushes, the brown brushes that you have at home, he attaches those to the bottom of his shoes and wears them. Now, after I left, he still kept those shoes on, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he wears them for the, the last year of the film. The film has. I think they're a, meant to be Jesus sandals. Jesus sandals with, with brushes on the bottom. They're extremely religious. They're, they're the Christian family. They're, yes. They're the Christians. So we're watching this film, and you name. know, suddenly one day some people try to come to this house, and they're these three Russians. Uh, who show up at the door, and as the film kind of matures and evolves, they come in the uh-huh. house. What? Matures and evolves. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> the film evolves. The story evolves. He, they come in the house, and they start tearing his house up, and we figure out later on that they're looking for some some money or some loot that's you, in Yeah, ain't giving away plot. Don't give away the plot. They, you don't give away plot. plot. The movie's horrible. Don't go see plot. this movie. Yeah. So I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to tell you the whole 35 minutes I spent in there because I'm trying, Out to of 86. Provide, I'm trying to provide a safe haven so you don't have to watch this garbage. Okay. But right, pretty much, so. Travis Hobson will, figure, will fill in because I'm, I'm outraged that for A, he stayed through the whole movie because I wanted you to leave when I left. I know. I kept waiting for you. I was like, I saw 20 other people walk out. Yeah, and I'm like, they still in there. Pretty much everybody. Not everybody. Left. There's a lot of people that left. There was, there was, it a, was an exodus. There was a mass exodus of people that left the, the screening. Oh, look, this is a really bad movie. And I always say every few years, you get one of these experiences at Sundance. It's one of those movies that's so bad that you wonder how it got there. And, you know, there's, I've only had one movie I've ever walked out of, and that's The Greasy Strangler. And I told you early in this movie, I was like, this is a Greasy Strangler situation that we're in right now <laughs> because I want to leave. <laughs> but I didn't go because the movie's only 80 minutes long, so I stayed and watched everybody else leave. Me and Chris stayed. Look, the problem, the problem is, so the movie set 90s sitcom style, four camera, aspect ratio, it's got all that. And I get what they were trying to do, okay? I get what they were doing. They were skewering the idea of the 
the perfect American family that we've that was seen in American sitcoms. Every character is an archetype of some kind. He's the bumbling husband. She's the wife that's too hot for him. The daughter's a horn dog, a boy crazy, <laughs> and the son is like a loner nerd, basically. You know, it's an archetype. And but they're skewering it also through the lens of religion because they're extremely faithful. At least the father is. So he makes them all wear like Jesus sweaters and things like that. You know, and then these Russians come in and they literally tear apart the fabric of the family. The fabric of the family. Tear apart the fabric of American society. They literally do it. Walls, pipes, everything. They're literally doing it. So it's a metaphor in there. Okay. Right? So I see what they're doing. The problem is the sitcom aspect is deeply unfunny. <laughs> like, uh, very unfunny. Did you just use the phrase deeply and unfunny? Yeah. It's, wow. Deeply, deeply unfunny. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I like it's, that. It's deeply unfunny. Have you it's guys just... seen the show um, Kevin Can F Himself? I know it, but I haven't seen it. I was wondering if it was if they were trying to go for that, because that also takes place partially in the sitcom world, and when she leaves... Um, her house, it goes back to the real world. And I was wondering if... And, and the sitcom part is not funny at it's, all. It's possible these guys maybe had an idea like that. They're both from... They're both Dutch or something. Okay. Like, like a Dutch comedy duo. But but um, it's it's really unfunny and it lasts like 45 minutes or something stupid. Like it's over long and you mm-hmm. just kind of... I, I knew you weren't going to make it through the sitcom part. I just knew. But Travis, you, you just, you just hit, on the, hit, the, hit on a point that I hadn't even connected. In both, I saw the TV glow. I was going to say In this. this film, they were both te- these television shows. Like we talked about the pink opaque. Now the pink opaque to watch was not as horrible as the sitcom aspect, but the television part, and, and it was like a th- this might have been an eighties or nineties sort of. Uh, or was, remember, like, I also told like you a, that that movie you I saw a TV glow cast a bunch of people from. 90s and early 2000s TV shows. Right. They're probably in the TV show that you're talking about. So there's, so there's a connection here that don't show us any 90s style television because in movies because it's not going to be good. So look, the thing about the, about Crazy House is that it just becomes empty shock value mm. for 80 minutes. They're just doing mass violence, mass blasphemy. Anybody who's you know, really a person of faith, I think, would be deeply religious. I mean, it starts off with a nun getting shot by a cop. Oh. That's how, the, that's well, how it getting, starts. Getting her head blown. Getting your head blown off blown by a cop. That's how it starts. That's, that's like the, the very first thing you see. Holding a baby. Jesus Christ gets, gets, <laughs> gets, gets killed by a spike later on, later in the movie. So oh, you missed that. Yeah. There's a lot no, in this movie. Not. And it just throws a lot of this at you. and You just become kind of desensitized to it. Thanks for shocking me with that. Yeah, that's actually not even a really a key part of the movie, which is why I felt comfortable saying it. It's not a key part of the movie, and it's hard. It's not even really. I think we're getting into spoiler territory, by the way. We're I, for that. I actually yeah. don't. It's actually we are. I haven't told you. Even, <laughs> you really don't want people to know. I haven't told you. I haven't told you a fraction of the stuff that actually happens in the movie. That's why I was comfortable saying that one part. But um, it's just because it just throws a lot at you, and you just become kind of numb to it. And none of it has it had none of it has any any value whatsoever. Yeah. And you're just kinda of watching, you're just kinda of like, Oh, that happened now, okay, yeah. And yeah, it's just it's just grotesque for the sake of being grotesque and sacrilegious for the sake of being sacrilegious. And I don't think after a while, once it gets past the sitcom part, I don't think it's really saying much of anything at all. Except maybe about possibly the pointlessness of thoughts and prayers when people are physically attacking you hmm. like these people are being physically attacked 
and you you saw enough to know that he was not going to be able to stand up and defend them. No. He was too busy hoping God will come in and do and, and save him mm-hmm. and save them. And of course, nothing ever happens. So they they were, they were definitely making a commentary about that as well. But it it all gets really lost <laughs> because of, they're just also trying to shock you to death. So it's probably the worst thing here. So, oh goodness! Yeah, it's it's probably the worst thing here. Love me is close. Well, I'll say this: for as bad as I saw the TV glow was, we didn't have a mass exodus like like they did that you were describing for this film. Well, so. it sounds like most people actually liked I saw the TV glow. Yeah, because yeah, it did trend on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Which, so so I'm, like I'm just saying that that may push this one up to the the worst. I'll say stuff. even my genre fans, who I genre people I know who were at Crazy House, didn't like it. A lot of them did not like it. There were a few people that I met who did like it, but not very many. Mm-hmm. So even the horror fans weren't digging it. Wow. Oh, that sounded like a downer. Okay. Um, Sorry. Family, that's okay. I will stay away from Crazy House. <laughs> crazy House. Crazy House. <laughs> crazy person. Uh, are there any honorable mentions as we wrap this up that you have that you want to just throw out there for our listeners? Because some of these films sure. haven't come out yet some are going to be coming out uh we are going to be posting some interviews on black girl nerds for the film suncoast which i think is incredible i love the performances in that beautiful film i know many of you guys have seen suncoast uh me personally a real pain which has distribution search like mm-hmm. pictures bought it for 10 million 10 million dollars Loved it. Kieran Culkin killed it. This guy's having a moment right now. And uh, he's just, he's great. If you guys love Secession, then you are absolutely going to just fall head over heels for a real pain. Man, we gotta Um, gotta give it up for Glenn Powell. Glenn Powell. Big man is something special. Yeah. I feel like Hollywood needs to give this man his flowers, finally. That is, uh, that is, what, that is the definition. If Charles and I, we do our podcast every weekend and always talk about execution. That's a story. It's a really good story, but the execution of the story? Wow. Richard Linklater, you did your thing on And that we one. really see Glenn Powell's range in this oh, film. Oh, absolutely. Because we see him like being dramatic, being funny, being romantic, like... All of these aspects of his his role in this in his performance is, is just absolutely stunning. So yeah, yeah. and I got to give some credit to uh, what's the young lady's name? Uh, Adrian. 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 Oh, well, she's so fine. Yeah, she's. She is I really mean, good in this film. you know, for our other listeners that are I interviewed her years for, for the guys out there, Glenn Powell, he yeah, it's so funny, yeah, because his arc in this film, Powell, this film is really, really kind of good. It's really good, man, because he starts off uh, 180 degrees from where he ends up at, and in between, as he discovers his confidence and he's doing his gig. He slowly, as he, as you know, without doing spoilers, he slowly finds out who he is and, and embraces his identity in a very real way. I enjoyed that film a lot. It made me laugh. Um, I thought it was, as I said, well executed, well acted, and I just love the story and the twist that they had in it as well. So that's a June release, unfortunately, but man, it's a and good Netflix show. is uh, mm-hmm. putting that one it's out. So show. I'm sure a lot of you guys will be seeing that because. Everybody has Netflix or, you know, can bum a Netflix account. Well, then again, can't not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. You can't, not anymore. Yeah, you can't bum. Yeah, there's yeah. no more bum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Any any guys? Any uh, of you guys? Well, have? we forgot to mention the greatest night in pop. I mean, we talked uh-huh. we talked about it briefly. I thought that you were going to pick it as uh-huh. as uh, your film of the of the festival, but uh, yeah, I think it was a fantastic. Uh, you look. do. A fantastic look at the making of We Are the World. It's very insightful and and uh, uh, revelatory in, in ways that you ne- you never knew before. So. Jamie, I'm I'm doing this because Charles swore it down when we went to watch it that you know he had known the story. Like there was nothing there, there was nothing new he needed to learn about uh, the 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 making of We Are the World, and then he discovered that there was so much he had to learn, and now he is acknowledging that he learned it. Yeah, yeah, just like uh, Luther. <laughs> I don't know why you hate. I mean, I'm the only person at the table who yet, met so. Luther Vandross and spent time with him. I'll be watching that one online. Wait, you should. Sure? You buried the lead there. You, you didn't hear what I just said. I'm the only person here who literally met Luther and spent time with him. Okay, okay well, congratulations. No, no, no. So when you want to clown me about Luther Vandross and I told you I knew the story, I know the story. That's all I'm saying. Don't hate. What Grace about you, Carlin? Was there any other films that you that I liked? I I was telling you guys it's earlier. Um, I'm just saying, just because you met him, don't mean you know his whole story. <laughs> I was telling you, you earlier that I cross talk, cross talk, cross talk. <laughs> Sorry, Cortland is speaking. We are talking. Sorry, Cortland. Really? I apologize, Cortland. Go ahead. I'm used to it by now. Um, I think uh, so. I was telling you guys earlier that I never saw. I didn't see anything that I hated. Right? There was. I saw kind of everything kind of mid and up. Um, so I've had a pretty good festival. One that I would really love to shout out um, is Ghost Light, uh, which is a film by Alex Thompson and Kelly O'Sullivan, who also did the indie film St. Francis. Um, very different film than St. Maude, so don't get them confused. We've talked about both today. Um Ghost Light is a story about a construction worker who has gone through a personal tragedy and his family is not coping very well. Um, and in a fit of rage, uh, he almost strangles someone and uh, outside uh, or inside uh, watching him is a local theater performer and she invites him in to be a part of their uh, cast of Romeo and Juliet. Um, and it's a story about healing. It's a story about the magic of community theater. Um, for those of you who saw Theater Camp last year, I did not like that movie. This definitely reveal, uh, redeems the theater community <laughs> for me. Um, and uh, I, I thought it was a very, very well done, beautiful film that, that, you know, it teaches us kind of the humanity that goes into to why people do things as adults, like why people have hobbies, why people do community theater, why we're sitting around this table talking about movies now, um, the passion and the heart that go into it. So yeah, I definitely loved, loved that one. I want to pick up on that. I saw that film on your recommendation. I'm glad I did. But the film that is going to stay with me a little longer is something that I saw today, Eternal You. Mm. Which again, in its own way, is also it's it's about grief and and yes. finding ways to overcome that grief, but it's through the use of AI. And the essential premise of the the film is this idea that you were using or downloading data, all of our data, text messages, emails, all of this information into AI to then be able to create a way for 
survivors to maybe potentially have last conversations with loved ones. Um, it is a troubling film. It is creepy at times. Uh, I'm, I'm shooting baby eyes right now at Tim Gordon <laughs> over how creepy it can be. But I think somewhere in there, it is actually asking us to really look at and think about, again, we talk an awful lot about how AI is being used, but I think this is the first real test case for us to really think about the really potentially tragic and devastating aspects of it that are sometimes completely unintended. Right. In most cases, the, the people behind these apps that are trying to put this all together, they have good intentions. They want to give people an opportunity and a way to get that resolution that they need, but you're creating a tool that you can't control. And there's literally one segment in the film, just not to give too much away, but there's a segment where a woman interacts with her dead partner, and she's a religious <laughs> woman, and she finds herself talking to her partner, trying to figure out if he's happy where he is and his life is going on, and he literally tells her he's in hell. <laughs> the, the AI has created this voice and this idea that he is not happy where he is, and it completely destroys her. And again, totally unintended. But again, I think that just that's just one really interesting example of how Wow, that's just where this is all going to go. We've talked for years about what AI is doing and writing papers for people and all this kind of stuff. That's not the problem we have. We need to be thinking about with AI. This is the problem we need to be thinking about. And again, I'm walking away from this film, and I guarantee you I'll be thinking about this two months from now, maybe a year from now. I'll be thinking the same things. Wouldn't want to do it, but I'm, I'm fascinated that it's out there in the world. And I think we all need to be thinking about it. I told Tim it sounds like the show Upload. <laughs> it is. It's uh, exactly yeah. like Upload, except yeah. it's, it feel, it's, it's real. Right. What you right. said about AI also reminded me about this documentary called Love Machina that mm. I was able to screen before Sundance. It's about this interracial queer couple that um, she actually, what's her name? Uh, Martine. She created, trans woman, who created the Sirius XM. She's the creator of SiriusXM, so she's very, not only smart, but very wealthy. Um, but her partner, Bina Rose Rothblatt, she wanted to eternalize their love affair by creating her, their personal, her personality into an AI robot. So that's what they've done in this documentary, and um, it's called Love Machina. And this AI robot has her, like her dialogue, her thoughts, her love patterns, all of that stuff. And it's called Bina 48. So I thought that was very interesting that like she has kind of her quirky personality and the way she talks and all of that stuff. So, yeah. There are a number. And there's another film being the Griot. That's, mm -hmm. that, again, oh, yeah. Being the digital Griot. Yeah, right. yeah. And I that one. there again, this is something. This is something that's bubbling up right now. Mm -hmm. There's three films that we've just talked about that are playing here that are all kind of looking at and exploring this whole dynamic. And I think there's there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. There really is. Yeah. Ninety sitcoms and uh, and, and AI. AI. Yeah. Has there ever been an AI movie where AI turns out nice? 
that, that it works for people. I think that's what Love Machina was trying to do. But <laughs> it doesn't really work. It never works. It never works. I don't know. All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, it's been a. Uh, I think this has been probably the most mediocre Sundance. It's <laughs> <laughs> not me. It's like this is my twelfth one, and I, and I feel like this is probably the. And look, it's not as if the lineup is entirely terrible. It's just this is one year where I don't think I've seen a single movie that I'm like I'll be talking about all year. I said that as well. I don't think I've had that yet. I haven't, I haven't found that movie. You exhibiting forgiveness. Thelma, so. Exhibiting forgiveness might be. I was literally. I, can, I guarantee movie. you, I, I might like Thelma, but it's not the movie that I'm going to be like. No. I was, about. I was literally having that conversation with Chris. He was like, "Like, has there been like a big breakout film out of Sundance?" And I was like, "I think the last one was Get Out, 2017. There really hasn't been like a big, like." box office breakout film that's come out of Sundance I mean, within the last few years. I, I, totally I just want to right. settle for... I, I don't expect the box office yeah, to come out Yeah, but Coda was Sundance, like though. maybe best picture, but I'm I, thinking I, like box, box office. office. Yeah, yes. I, I don't. I never really expect a big box office hit to come out of Sundance. I expect a, I expect mm-hmm. an awards-worthy movie to come I out of Sundance. I expect Whiplash. And, uh, right. I expect movies to get accolades. Brooklyn. Right. I look yeah. at those more than anything else. The, the yeah. Movies that make money, they, they happen every now and then. Coda made money. I mean, stuff like that. There's thinner things that come out that may not be gigantic hits that do well. I well, look if for, that's the case, then Past Lives would probably be on the list. And that yeah, was just Past, last Lives, year. Past Lives would be a breakout film from Sundance. I just don't know I what that movie's going to be this year. The biggest film of Sundance year. last year didn't even come out. So. Oh. Yeah. Well, we know what. Magazine Dreams. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. I'm just, you know, I was waiting for you to say it. Say it. You were the one who brought it up. Why, why is that like, you can't say that? I don't know. I mean, we can, but he brought it up, but then didn't say it. And I was like, I, I wasn't going to say it. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> I know you want me to ask you. Guess what the new Magazine Dreams is. Love Lies Bleeding. It's right, Love Lies Bleeding. Yeah, I know. Uh, but um, but uh, I, I feel like this. there's not been a movie that blows me away right now that I've seen. Uh, exhibiting forgiveness is probably the one that's closest yeah. Yeah. in terms of a movie that I think will come out if they do it right in the award season. It could do something and really perform well in the Just award don't season. Let neon get it, and you know, <laughs> neon generally has a good track record. They failed with Origin, but they generally they have a decent track record. True. But, so I don't they know. Did do Parasite? Right. They All we remember is what you did last. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say this: Sundance was Sundance was really hurt by the strikes. Yeah. A lot of movies that would have been in production weren't in production, yeah, that's and point. so they're probably going to end up at South by or some other festival uh, overseas, like like a con or a or a Berlin or, or someplace Venice. like that. Yeah. Or right, they're going to end up somewhere else, and rather than being here, this is the smallest lineup they've had in in a while, and you can mm-hmm. you can you can see it. So, down year for Sundance overall. I hope they rebound next year. And I will say, I, I don't think this is singular to this year. Like, I think ever since COVID, the festival has suffered. And then the strikes kind of nailed it down this year. But, um, you know, I would say the lineup last year at South By was better than it was here. So, mm-hmm. I, I like playing off of what Travis said this year's South By. I mean, that just came out and it looks better than what well, it was here. Low key, South by usually has better movies anyway. I think. Uh, well, they're more genre though. Box maybe, office maybe wise, recently. maybe. 
Box well, office wise, I, I, I like saying. South Park's movies because they're more quirky and South Park is better of a genre than yeah, some yeah, movies. yeah. That's what I mean. Is they they have fun genre films at South Park mm. and Sundance. <laughs> I have nothing else to add. Okay. I mean, it's my tenth year, so I'm just like, you know, it, it, it's very different. Um, whether we strike or not, I just there was some there were a lot of changes I didn't like this year, but. It is what it is. We'll see moving forward uh, what the future of Sundance is. All right. I feel like we've ended on a very down note. Freaky Tales! Yes. Um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is not in Freaky Tales, by the way, but I'm just... Feels like he might be in it. That was a horrible segue. What, <laughs> wow. what happened with Kareem Abdul Jabbar? Did you just see something? I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm half asleep. Is he trending or something? Is he? <laughs> I gotta check now because you know we gotta know. protect him. Oh, oh, I was about to say, hopefully not for the wrong reason. Hopefully not. My goodness. <laughs> He's still alive. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Denzel Giff. Um, well, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Uh, as of this recording, Sundance is still going on. However, when this does come out, Sundance will have officially ended, and some of these films will be released. Some of them still are in limbo and looking for buyers. Hopefully, by the time this episode comes out, we'll find out what films are. Um, getting release dates and uh, you know stay tuned for all things to come thank you so much guys for participating on this episode this was a lot of fun thank you for having us thank you this is cool yep appreciate you thank you pretty (laughs) good the black girl nerds podcast is produced by jamie broadnax The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.